Open up our Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 20, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12. If you all turn to Romans chapter 20, I, I'd be kind of worried about you. Uh, there's only 16 chapters in Romans, so. Um, Romans chapter 12. Now, if you've been with us in Sunday school, we've been on a series in Romans, and it's been beautiful study. Certainly invite you uh, if, if you can, to, to make it, uh, it's, the auto, it's the auditorium class that we're doing in, in Romans on Sunday school. Um, but, you know, there's also the recordings that are out there. But we've been in this for, uh, I don't know, it's about a year and a half, it seems like we started. But we've reached a milestone in Romans. Now, one of the thing about Paul's books and his epistles, we know this is the word of God, and Paul was inspired to write this, but he has a very doctrinal area of any of the books or the epistles which he writes. And then he gets to a practical aspect of it. And we really need to, as, as God's people, we need to embrace both. We need to embrace the doctrinal aspect of what's being taught and also what is the practical aspect is what is being taught to do. What do we believe and what do we do because we believe? And we shouldn't give too much attention to the point where we're making the other suffer. So if you, if you are only focused on the practical aspect and not the doctrinal, uh, you have many churches like that today that are leaning more towards legalism. That all you want to do is do, 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 and you don't understand the motive behind why you're working, what you're doing. You're doing it in the flesh. You're not understanding the doctrine which is taught that supports our works. And you also don't want to do the, the flip side. You don't want to be all doctrinal and never practical because then that kind of lends towards what's called antinomianism or uh, someone who ha feels they have a license to sin. Because we're under grace, let's sin all we want. And so they never apply the Christian living, the, the way to live holy, the, the righteousness which we are to strive for in the word of God. And so they only will study the doctrine and just live any life that they, they want to live. So both of those, uh, we should not do that. So in chapter 12, Paul actually had begun in chapters 1 through 11 speaking doctrinally, and it's been so rich, and just blessing after blessing uh, that we have seen. That's why it's taken so long. And honestly, we could take a lifetime. Uh, reading Romans chapter 1 through 11. But in chapter 12, this is where he starts the practical admonition, having learned all these things. But in chapter 12, uh, let's read verse 1. We're going to read through verse 5. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. 
All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you've given us to be here, to worship you, to give our sacrifice of praise to you this morning. Father, may we, with our whole heart, just lift you to, may we lower ourselves, may we decrease ourselves and forget about everything that's going on. And Father, just magnify you, praise you, lift you. Father, instruct us by your word. Father, we know that you will bless us. Father, if we diligently search your word and that we prove those things which are written in here, Father. Father, we, we thank you for the ones who are here today. We do pray if there's one who does not know you as their personal Savior. You know their heart. Father, we ask, Lord, that you just do your mighty work. We know that you can, and we know that you have promised to. Father, we just will praise you and lift you high. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 12 can be divided into four sections. Uh, we're not going to be able to read, we're not going to be able to get to all the sections. We will pick back up on Sunday school, so hopefully this gives, if you've not been able to attend, it will give you a bit of a thrust to, 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 to finish it with me on chapter 12. But there's four sections. There's consecration. There's humility, there's love in the church, and then there's love in the world. How is a Christian supposed to live their life? Well, those are the four sections which we see in chapter 12. Very practical, isn't it? There's consecration, there's personal holiness to God, there's commitment to God, devotion to God. And then there is humility. Then there is love in the church, and then love in the world. But first, let's look at verse 1. He says, I beseech you... Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This morning, the Sunday school lesson was titled, What Does Romans Say? What does Romans say? Well, you, do you notice this word, therefore? What this is, is we've talked about this therefore many times. Therefore connects the Christian doctrine that is established with Christian living. It's like a bridge that I was talking about. It's a swing door. Uh, many chapters will have therefore. What it means is because of this, we should do this. Now, I want to talk about this because of this. What have we learned in Romans chapter 1 through 11? And I'll be, I'll be brief. I'll just give you some basic points of what we've seen. First of all, we see in chapters 1 through 11 that we have a problem. Man has a problem. Man has a serious relationship problem with God. All people have a serious relationship problem with God. Even though we have all the evidence that there is a God, we have not glorified him as God, neither were we thankful. We profess ourselves to be wise. This is all man. But we have become fools. Our, dark, our vain heart has been darkened in our own imagination. What mankind has done has taken the truth of God, that there is a God, and they, the truth of God's existence, and they have reinvented God to someone smaller, to something smaller, someone that you can cope with disobeying and flat out ignore in your life. 
Instead of transgressing against God, now we have this God of our own imagination who we won't have to give an account to. We won't have to answer to. Then there's the moral agency of mankind that, you know, just as long as I'm better than the worst, even if there was a God, I'll be okay. And so we look at the worst characters out there and we compare ourselves to them. And so our conscience is clear. Now this is not just a few people. Romans chapter 1 tells us it's all people. All people. And it's not just the worst of the worst. The Bible says there is none that doeth good. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By the works of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. The Bible says our mouths are an open sepulcher. That means a grave. That in our lips are poison. And our heart is not good. It's desperately wicked before God. Now that sounds like a problem. That all of us in our natural state, we reinvent God. We don't want to answer the God, even though God has given us all the evidence. Like I said earlier, I do not have to convince you there's a God. God has already generally given you the evidence. Not only inwardly, where did you get that moral agency? And how do we all have the same moral agency? Well, where the presence of law is, there is the indication there must be a lawgiver. And it is an intelligent lawgiver who has distributed the same law to all in us. God's also demonstrated in creation. So like I said, I don't have to convince anybody that there's a God, but what I do have to restate to you is that We do not reinvent who God is based on our own comfort, but that's what man has done. So there's a problem. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. And then in chapters 1 through 11, we're told about the problem, and then we're told about the gospel of God. Now there's man's problem. Now here comes God's solution. There is a gospel of God. The gospel is good news. In chapter 1, turn with me if if you will. Paul immediately starts talking about this. He says in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now that's the good news, right? For it is, and not only a good news, but a good work. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed or provided from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now if you examine verse 16, this good news of God, this work of God, which God has done, first of all, it is by the power of God unto all who believe. What's God's work? God's work is the work of salvation. What's my work? My work is the work of believing. That's it. There is no other work for me to do. The work that which I work is to believe and have faith because it is by God's power. And that way, you know what? Paul was not ashamed and neither should we be ever ashamed to preach the gospel of God because it is by the power of God. 
And it's by His determination and His mercy and His grace and all His will, all the counsel of His will, will be done. But it says that not only is it by the power of God unto salvation, it is given to us to believe. God has given it to us to believe. To everyone that believeth, and not only to believe, given to everyone to believe, but it is given for anyone to believe. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. What glory of the gospel that God has done. And he goes and he continues. Now he's defined what the gospel of God is. He then goes on to demonstrate how we have been passed from darkness to life, how we were in a state of judicial condemnation. We were under the penalty of the law that our, our verdict had already been announced and determined. And that's what God says, that I've not come to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. You're already condemned. And so the verdict's already been given. But when we were under condemnation, we are now no longer under condemnation to them who are justified in Christ Jesus. We've gone from death to life. We've gone from condemnation to justification. That was in chapter 3. Then in chapter 5, it starts talking about our reign of life. How there is a reign of death. I, don't, I know no one wants to think about death. But death is reigning. And because of sin, because of the sin against God, death is reigning. But by the disobedience of one, Adam, death reigned unto all. But by the obedience of one, Christ Jesus, has life reigned. Righteousness has reigned unto all who believe. We've gone from a reign of death to a reign of life. Hey, you who have believed. You who are saved, you are one of God. You are his child. You've been redeemed. You are in a reign of life. <laughs> Death has no more sting. The victory, you know, the grave has no more victory. None of those things. Who can condemn us? None, no one can condemn us. It is God who justifies. It is, it is Christ who was buried, who died, was buried, and raised again from the dead. God's work is finished of redemption, of salvation, and it's by his power. He's given it to us, to all those who believe. Now, that's a reign of life. Not just in this life, we have joy, we have the hope, we have the promise before us, but we know that when we die and we wake up, we will wake up with the Lord. Now, when I say wake up, I don't believe in soul sleep. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Anytime you see the word of God say sleep, it's just a gentle way of saying that the body is dead. But the spirit is life, right? The soul is alive in glory with God until the resurrection. And then they will receive a resurrected body. But we have a reign of life. And then uh, it goes on to talk about in Romans chapter 8, we were separated from God. We were aliens. We were enemies. Our mind was at enmity with God. It was at a state of hate. But now we've been brought together We've been brought back to God in the relationship through the blood, through the propitiation, through Jesus Christ. The propitiation is the atonement. It's the covering. Jesus' blood has washed away my sins. That's basic. That's all that that means. That God no longer sees my sin. And now I've been brought back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, 
it also tells us that we are joint heirs. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are joint heirs of the inheritance of Christ. Isn't that something? We are joint heirs with him. And we've been given the victory, and there's no separation. Now here's the thing. If you have not repented of your sins and separation from God and believed upon him for the salvation of your souls and the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to save your soul, God commands today to repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your sins. Believe what God has done. He has provided the gospel. It's his gospel. It's his good news. Man has an incurable problem, and God has given an ultimate, beautiful, gracious solution. And it's for those who believe. Now, now we know what the therefore is there for. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, who are you? I'm a child of God. Brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now this word present, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I was picturing Brother Jeremy doing this. This word present is to present yourself, you are to report for duty. That is what this is. That you present your bodies. You are reporting for duty. And this Greek word, it's, it's an active infinitive, and it means to be at hand, stand ready. That you are always in the presence of God. You're standing ready for any work, for any worship. That you have presented your bodies, and bodies means all of you. Your body, your heart, your soul, and your mind. Every single ounce of you has been presented. You've presented yourself to God. Knowing what he's done. Because of what he's done, do this. And he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this was also brought out in Romans chapter 8. And if you look at verse 9, of Romans chapter 8, Paul had just talked about how the spirit of life that is in us has given us a reign of life, that we have been freed from sin and the, the penalty of sin and death. In verse 9, he says, But ye are not in the flesh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, we had talked about that in Sunday school a little while in Romans chapter 6. You want to check that out. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the, his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, here's our therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live, or not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify, or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
we see that this, there's this obligation because of what God has done for us. This is what we are to do. We are not to live debtors after the old man, after the flesh, after the one who Christ had died for and who was condemned dead in sins and trespasses. But God has made us alive. We're new creatures in Christ. Now, this reasonable service, now this is interesting. The word reasonable means, in the Greek, it's logikos. It's where we get the word logic. So it says this is our logical service. Logikos. Now there's three aspects to the word. There's three different ways that, that you can uh, interpret it in its context and all three work. The first one means rational or rationale. It's proper. So this word logic, it's our logical service to present ourselves before God, a living sacrifice, holy, that means separated, acceptable unto God. It's a rational response. Paul herein has in mind our worship to God, having an accurate understanding of the gospel of God, which is what we attempted to do just a minute ago. We attempted to look at the gospel of God, understand it, rational or rationalize it, and now it is our logical service right here at the end of verse 1. So our reasonable service is rational because it grasps the truth of what Christ has done for us, then responds to that knowledge with whole heart grateful response. Worship. With all of our heart we worship, considering what he has done. In uh, Hebrews 12.28, it says, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, logikos not only just doesn't mean rational service, but it also means spiritual. This indicates that our worship, our presentation to God is from the heart. It's not a you know, um, a repetition of physical things. Our reasonable service, our logical service is a heart service. It's not just a repetition of religion. It's not just a repetition of tradition. It's not, it's not those things. Isaiah 111 says this. You don't have to turn there. He says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat, of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. He says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from, from before my eyes, cease to do evil. So our reasonable service is not, isn't the repetition of worship. It is the heart worship. That God is not pleased with repetition with no heart. And that's what he says. That when we offer our bodies a living sacrifice, that we offer it with our whole heart, our spirit. Now, the third way logikos can be used is by your true service. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is your true service. Um, 
And what this means is, as in worship to God that does not conform to the world. It does not conform to the things of the world, but actually follows behind your true self, your true transformed mind, your true born-again self, that your worship is after your true self. Um, In verse 2, he goes on, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now notice there's a contrast between being conformed and being transformed. Now it says, and be not conformed to this world. The word conformed or conformed means to take on the shape of the object that is holding you. So like water. Water, if you pour water into a cup or anything, it's going to take on the shape of its container. The world is our container. So we are not to take on the shape of the world. That's basically what that means. Be not conformed to the world. That is, uh, and then it says, but be transformed. Now, conforming is taking on the shape of an object. Transformed is taking on an entirely different object altogether. You change the water. It's different. It's not the same. And being transformed is changing into something else beyond or besides its nature. So yes, we used to be conformed to this world. And in many ways, we, we need to examine our lives and just examine, Lord, am I being conformed to this world or am I being transformed by the renewing of my mind, the work which God has done in me, with the Spirit. Remember what he says? If you have the Spirit of God, you are led by the Spirit of God. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you are none of His. You are none of His. Now, if you have the Spirit of God, you've been transformed. So we, also we are in these bodies of temptation, aren't we? of flesh, and we just read that in Romans chapter 7, about how when we want to do good, evil's present with us, and how we want to be delivered from this body of death, that it's, it's bringing us down. The intention is there, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, God, or, and Paul is admonishing us, with everything that you have, use what God has done for you to change your attitude to the way you live today and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. Do not take on the shape of this world. Consider what God has done for you and what He's going to do for you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Consider how much God loves you and how He gave His life for you. And He suffered. He didn't have to. He could have let you just slip on by. He could have let me slip on by. And I would have been punished. I would have went hell. And I would have deserved it. God would not have been uh, unfair. He would have been just. Sending me. So consider these things. And that's what he says. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The renewed mind proves or we discover, we test, 
We prove that God is good. We prove. We take it, I mean, we go full strength ahead. That's what Romans chapter 6 says. As much as you served sin and your old state when you were condemned, and you were going to go to hell, as much as you served sin, but now that you've been saved and you've been transformed into light, no, you've been brought from darkness to light, with just as much diligence, serve the Lord. And serving the Lord means being at home alone with the Word of God. You open up the Word of God. This is verses 1 through 2 is being consecrated. This is what we do in private. Verses 1 and 2 is what we do in private. Now the rest of the chapter is what we do in public. Verses 1 through 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That we are discovering what God's will is through the word of God. We know it. We can discern it. We are doing God's will in the Word of God, and we are enjoying God's will in our life. That's the life. That's the separated life. That's, that is saying, Lord, I'm all on board. I'm tired of straddling this fence, having one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible. Lord, I want to be full-time in love with you because I know this... this the time is short. And the only thing that matters is what we do for the Lord. That's what God said, is you have plenty of people who are rich on earth, but poor in heaven. Poor in heaven. Lord, I want to be full time. I want to, first of all, verses 1 through 2, I want to separate myself. I want to consecrate myself. I want to open up the word of God and pray. And, you know, so many people try to do it all at once and then they get tired and burn themselves out. You know, you do it little by little every day. We grow every day. Now, the rest of the chapter, like I said, verses 1 through 2 is what we do alone. Verses 3 through 8 is the humility that we have. Verses 9 through 21 is the love. We have humility one to another. What that means is that we come, now once we've left our home and we've come and we've assembled ourselves together, that we esteem each other better than ourselves with all love. We esteem others better. And that's, I'm going to just kind of paraphrase it. And then he talks about in verse 9, that love be without dissimulation. That means false, that means similitude, false actions. Let your love be genuine and be kindly affectionate one to another. And then in, in verse 19, actually uh, verse 17, it's love to those who are outside of the church. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of man. For if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, I tell you, 
when we dedicate ourselves in verses 1-2, you've got to get that right first. Understanding what God has done for us, we've dedicated ourselves to the Lord, we've prayed, asked Him to help us. Then we assemble, and for edification's sake, we love one another, we esteem each other better than ourselves. We don't think more of ourselves than we should think of ourselves. That's what humility is. And then we love one another. We love one another, and then we love those who are outside of the church. And I tell you, that can be hard. That's a lot, it's a lot easier said than done. And um, can you think of a time where you've been challenged because someone doesn't like you? They may be making things up about you. And you're challenged as a child of God to not return that evil or return that dislike of them. Have you ever been challenged to do that? I tell you, the Word of God says, you know what? Love them. And then tell them you love them. You know what? I'm sorry you think of me that way. I, I just want to tell you that you're not right. That I don't think that way or I'm not that conniving or I'm not, not, it's not a conspiracy. I'm sorry you think that way of me and that you're making up things about me but I want you to know that I love you. What would that do? That would shock them a lot more than your best zinger. Because if you give them a zinger, all you're doing is playing their game. That's all you're doing. You're, you're doing what they expect you to do because what are you doing? You're conforming yourself to the world because that's what the world does. But by the transforming of our mind, if you turn around and say, you know what, I love you and I'm praying for you, you know one of these days life is going to get very real for them and very sad. Who are they going to turn to and say, you know what, of all the people that I can turn to and that I trust with this question, of how can I be saved, I'm going to turn and I'm going to talk to the one person, despite what I said about them, they said they loved me. They said that that they're praying for me. Isn't that the point? Isn't that what it's about? Sharing the grace of Christ. Sharing the love of Christ. How are you any different than them if it were not by grace? God has saved you. He has saved you and he's called you to be a light. He's not called you to be more of what's already in the dark. He's called us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. To not return evil with evil, but with good. Not because, you know, and so many people will say, well, you're just being gullible. You're just being gullible. You're allowing them to do this and to do that. And you're, I've been called gullible before. I've been called naive before. But here's my thing. One of these days I'm going to be answerable to the Lord. And what I want to do is I want to, if I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of loving them. Of believing them. Giving them the benefit of the doubt. And instead of being so cynical that I shut them off. You're not someone they can come to when they're in need because you're more of the same of what they see 99% of their life and honestly 
If you're a true child of God, you're not going to beat them at their game. How do we? You're not. Because they're going to know a whole lot more stuff on you. They're going to go further than you're going to go. If they don't know the Lord, you're just digging your own hole. But what does the Word of God say? Return evil with good. Pray for them. Love them. And it says you will heap coals of fire upon their head. Now, don't do that for that motive's sake. I know how I'll make them mad is love them. You don't want to do that. But I will say that it pleases God. It pleases the Lord. And you know what? You don't have to walk around like, oh, I can't believe they said that about me. Now everybody thinks that I do this or do that or think this way or think that. That sounds like a, a burden. That sounds like something that can suck the joy out of your life. Oh, the Lord knows best. Let's listen to him. I hope the Lord has richly blessed you. If you're not saved or under the sound of my voice and you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, at the beginning of this message, we talked about the problem of man. It's everybody's problem. That your relationship with God is not good. If you are in your sins and you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior, that it's time that we stop deceiving ourselves, fooling ourselves into thinking God is good with you. Because the Word of God, the authoritative Word of God, has been given to us. He reveals himself to us that we are not good. That he has provided his son to be a ransom, to be a sacrifice, to be a covering. That by his son and belief in him, that's by God's power, he has given us this unbelievable, wonderful, beautiful gift of his son and salvation. That if we look upon him, that we repent of our sins and look upon him, and ask him, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. I don't want to go to hell. And I'm sorry for my sins. That he said that he will save you. And he'll save you today. And then you'll be saved forever. And when you die, you'll be home in glory. And you know what? When you're saved, God will give you an assurance in your heart that you won't have to guess anymore. You won't have to hope anymore. You know that when you die, you'll be in glory with him forever. Because of what he's done. Not because of what I've done. Because of what he's done. I pray that the Lord has blessed you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, your words are eternal. Just like the song we sang in worship, Father, we will sing a new song in glory, but it will be the same old story. It will be of Jesus and his love and his sacrifice to us. Father, I do pray that you stir the hearts this morning, all those under the sound of my voice. Father, that we presented the gospel clearly to all ears. Father, may, it, may you penetrate their hearts with it. In Jesus' name, amen.